Hope everybody's doing well. It's, it's so weird not having to look at a camera this morning. Um, we've been live streaming for a long time, but we've been kicking around the idea of when we would uh, cease to live stream, and uh, the camera decided to disappear along with the bag and everything that was in it, and so we decided today that we would not live stream, and so um, we probably won't start back. And so if you're not listening today, um, man, come back next week. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're glad to see everybody today. Really, really excited to be here. Uh, over the past week, just so you know, we've raised like $900 plus for camp because uh, we've got several boys and their dads and several girls and their moms going to camp this summer, and we want to make it as easy as possible for them to go. It's about 175 bucks a head, little or big, either way. And so we want to make sure that most people can afford to pay. And so uh, one more thing, and Zach already mentioned it, we do have what's left of our last batch of Origin t-shirts that we ordered back there for sale. Can't guarantee your sizes back there, but you could buy a blanket if you wanted one, um, if it's too big. And uh, 15 bucks on those, and those will go straight to camp. And so if you want one, make sure you see uh, me or Zach or, or my wife or Ashley or, or just anybody that looks like they know what they're doing at the end of this today and, and give them some money. Or you can even put it in an envelope back there and say $15 for camp. Or if you've got something bigger than a, than a $15 bill, which doesn't exist, um, we're not going to make change, you can drop it back there too, and, and we'll take that. And so we, uh, like we said last week, we never want money to be a reason that kids can't go to camp. And so uh, we're going to make a way for them to go, and we want to start with our family. Um, Trying to think, anything else? No, that's it. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, today is, man, today is, it's a, tough, it's a tough passage. Like from a teaching standpoint, from a reading standpoint, from a listening standpoint, um, it's hard. Because up until now, we've, we've been in this influencer series, and we've basically taken the stance of, let's look at people that have influence on us. Why do we listen to them? What is their influence like? What, what are some reasons that we don't listen to their influence? And most of the ways that we've done that is we've said, hey, here's some people in Scripture, here's someone, you know, giving influence, here's someone that's taking it, which one are we likely going to be? And over the past several weeks, it's been we're the one who's been influenced. Today, there's basically two central acting characters, so to speak, in this particular passage. We've got a guy named Stephen, and then we have an angry mob. And, and here, let me just go ahead and throw this out there. Um, it's hard to say that we want to be like either. If we read this well, like honestly, with all of our American Christianity influence that we have, and I'm not bashing America, but there's a lot of bad things that we learned about being a Christian that came from America, and, uh, and I'm not saying, anyway, don't, don't read any more into that than I just said, but if we listen to it with American Christian ears, we're going to hear this, and we're going to be like, man, I don't want to be, I don't want to be either of these people. Like, I don't, I don't want that. And so, let's do this. Let's do our best today to listen to this from like, people that are influenced by just Jesus. Okay, let's, let's do our best to do that. Um, man, it's a good one, but it's, woo, it's rough. Uh, if this was a Netflix series, it'd probably get canceled after the first series, because it's just, I mean, it's rough. Uh, let me pray, and then we're going to jump in and roll with it. God, we love you. We thank you for your word, even when it's difficult, uh, maybe more so when it's difficult. Uh, God, I pray that you would speak to us through your spirit. Uh, you would enlighten us as to who we are, who we need to be. God, what are the things that we need to repent of, and what are the things that we need to embrace? Um, God, guide us through this. We love you. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 6. And, and like I said, we're going to talk about a guy named Stephen P.H. Stephen. Uh, not if you spell your name with a V, is it bad? It's fine, but this guy, it's P-H. Um, and so maybe they pronounced it Stephan. I don't know. But either way, we're, we're saying Stephen. 
Uh, let's talk about first, like kind of give us an idea as to who he is. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1, read a few verses here. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews uh, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Uh, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose. We'll pause right there. So really quickly, what's happening here, early days of the church, big explosion. We had seen Pentecost. We had seen Peter, we had seen Peter uh, preach a less than eloquent sermon, and God added to their number like thousands. I mean, bam, right there. Like, that's a good day. And then it says that they began living in community, Acts chapter 2. They had all things in common. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were breaking bread in their homes. They were receiving money. They were immediately put it in the other hand and saying, who needs it? Take it. Central pot. They were doing all these things. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved because of the beautiful picture of community. And so now they've got thousands upon thousands of people in Jerusalem. And so they've got the, the, 12 plus, or the remaining 11 disciples plus one that they added. Then they have the rest of the followers. And, and they come, to, you know, one day that the Jewish uh, folks that are Greek-speaking, Hellenists, they come to them and they're like, look, there's a little discrimination going on in our midst. And so like the Jewish-speaking Jews, they're being taken care of really well. Those widows, good. But the Greek-speaking Jewish women, they're being neglected a little bit because there's a little bit of partiality going on. So what do we do? And they're like, well... Um, we have been appointed, the apostles, they said, we've been appointed to teach and to preach and, and to do all that. We're not going to stop doing that because that's what God's called us to do. So from among you, find seven men that are qualified basically to be our first diaconos or our deacons is what they were. Like find men who meet these standards that you've seen in us, bring them out, let us appoint them, and they're going to go and they're going to serve tables. That's what they're going to do. And so, man, I, I won't even hit that yet. We're going to come back to it. But so find these men. And so this is what they said. Uh, it says, so we will devote ourselves to prayer, verse 4. In verse 5, it says, but what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, number one, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. Where's Nico? Is Nico here today? Nope, he's not here. Man, I was hoping he was going to be here. Who was a proselyte of Antioch. They set, before, they set these men before the apostles. They prayed, laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, that's interesting, became obedient to the faith. And they're like, hey, we have a ministry to do. It includes preaching. It includes teaching. It includes prayer. It also includes serving others. And so we need people to do that. So they chose these people. One of those was this guy named Stephen. At this point, this is all we know about Stephen. Man, he was, he was a faithful, godly man. That's all we know. Uh, we don't know that it, whether or not he went to rabbinical school. Probably didn't. We don't know if he had any type of letters after his name. Probably didn't. He was just a man infected with the virus that is called Jesus. And as a result of that, he was set apart. And so they appointed him. They set him apart. Here's what we don't know. We don't know how much time passes between uh, verse 7 and verse 8. But what we can assume is it was probably a little while. Uh, that's always one of the hard things. So we can assume a bit of time had passed, and this is where we find ourselves in verse 8, after this guy named Stephen had been appointed to serve tables. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, same guy, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. 
but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and of God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. All right. Before we go any further, I just got to, I'm going to lay it out there. It's about to get real sticky. Okay? It's about to get real sticky. Like, there's no way that we can live under the umbrella of prosperity gospel Jesus and read this and be okay with it. Okay? So something's got to go. Either Scripture has to go or our poor understanding of what God's good looks like has to go. One more time. Either Scripture has to go or our poor understanding of what God's good looks like has to go. That's, man, that's what's going to have to happen before we get to the end of this passage. And, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, like, I read it, it's hard. It's tough. Because we believe we do good, good things happen. We, we do right, right's done by us. Okay? That's still entirely true. But here we go. So, very much like what we saw occur with Jesus... Same idea. This was the Sanhedrin. It doesn't say it here, but it was. It was a Sanhedrin. It was a place to where trials would occur, and and the Jewish religious elite, they would put it on. And so basically, they see this guy full of grace, full of wisdom, full of faith. He's doing great things. He's in the temple, and he's in the temple speaking to people about the goodness of God, the grace of Jesus, and the fact that Jesus came to make all things right. And it wasn't about you living up to this standard anymore called the law, doing all of these checks and, and checking yes and no on all these boxes to be acceptable. No, he was probably in there saying, no, you know what? Jesus came because he had to do all of those things just so that you could know God. And if you just believe in him and not the law, this place, as great as it is, to be honest, it doesn't matter because you can worship wherever you are. And Moses, as good as he was, he wasn't God. And so they heard all of these things, and they're like, man, this guy, he has got to go. He's got to go. So they bring him before the council. They, they enlist some people to say, hey, we need you to exaggerate or to at least say with a different tone or lie about what this guy has just said. And so they bring these trumped-up charges. Again, it should sound pretty familiar to us at this point. I mean, really, really familiar to us. So they bring him in, and they, they throw out these trumped-up charges um, because all of these people that were arguing with him in the temple, none of, them, none of them could withstand his wisdom and his knowledge. They were all just getting put down by just the simple grace of his tongue. And, so, and he probably wasn't even trying to embarrass them, but he did. And so they're like, we've we got to get rid of him. But it said everybody that brought these charges against him, when they heard it, they looked at him, and they were like, man, he has a face of like an angel. So it was really weird. We want to kill this guy. We want to get rid of him. But he looks completely and utterly innocent to the point that he's like shining. I mean, like, when the angels came and they, they told Mary where Jesus had gone, it said they were radiant. They were like, man, they were, bam, like Rodan and Fields, good, that kind of thing. My wife sells Rodan and Fields. If you need skincare products, I mean, they're changing, changing lives one skin at a time. Um, <laughs> so, uh, really, it's, it's good stuff. Um, I'm not making fun of that. I'm really not, and she's not in here, so I'll have to confess to her a little bit later. So, anyway, I mean, they looked at him, and so this is what he does, okay? Um, and I want to go ahead and point this out. Before he takes his next breath and says a single word, 
I would bet that he knew exactly what was coming. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've never heard this story. Okay, but if he was a student of history, at least recent history, and he probably was, he probably knew where this was heading. Okay, we need to keep that in mind. And so I'm going to summarize a little bit chapter, most of chapter 7 because it's a long thing. So basically what he does uh, in chapter 7, verse 1, which is not up there, I'm going to start it there and then summarize. It says, and the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, he told a story. He told a story. He started with Abraham. Now he's speaking to very Jewish people, like very, very Jewish people that would have known the history. But he starts with Abraham and he goes through Moses. He goes through their, their patriarchs, their fathers of the faith. And he basically just shows them, hey, here's what he did, and here's how your forefathers, man, they just chose not to listen, and they were disobedient. And then here's what God did, and then here's how your forefathers chose not to listen to that. And then here's what happened, and here's how your forefathers chose not to listen to that. And then he kind of brings all of it to this place towards the end of this, and he's like, and you know, uh, then there was this temple that Solomon built. And you think that's really great and really awesome. But then he reminded them in the words of the prophet Isaiah that God is saying this, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is this place of my rest? Did my hand not make all these things? And so basically he's telling them, look, you're defending your forefathers. They were disobedient to God. You're defending this place like it's a holy place that God rests here, and if people don't believe that, they're wrong. But you don't remember that God said, look, you can't build me anything that's not mine already. So don't think too highly of yourself. And then he goes in verse 51, and after saying all of that, giving them like an amazing history lesson, in verse 51, he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, you do also. So stiff-necked, uncircumcised of heart and ears, we don't, we don't use that language a whole lot. Like, we don't, we don't say that. But basically, it's like, you stubborn people, that the outside is good, but your heart is unchanged. You don't listen to the Holy Spirit, and your parents didn't either, and their parents didn't either, and their parents didn't either. You need to hear me. He said, which of the prophets, woof. And it's about to get sticky. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law is delivered by angels and did not keep it. Basically, he's saying, you are trying me for blasphemy and for going against Moses and going against the temple when you don't even realize that you've been doing it before you were born. He said, the very same charges that you're bringing against me right now, that you're trumping up against me, don't you realize, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised of heart people, you're doing it worse. And I haven't done a thing. I'll go ahead and let you know. It doesn't end well the way we would normally think. Verse 54. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him, or they shook their fists, would be a, a modern understanding. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, they cried out with a unified, loud voice. 
stopped their ears so they couldn't hear, and they rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And they, the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's good, right? <laughs> my goodness. Like a guy did it all right. Like he did everything right. Like he was bold. He was full of faith. He was full of courage. He was full of grace. He spoke truth. And guess where it got him? It got him tossed outside the city walls and stoned to death. But luckily God displayed amazing grace, beautiful grace. And it sounds like he took him even before the rocks killed him. And he looked up to see a proud Savior. Like, the stickiness of this is, like, what do we do with it? Like, what do we do with this? Like, if we are convinced that if I name it and claim it, man, everything's going to be given to me. We're convinced that if, that if I lay down my sin and I choose the grace of Jesus, then, man, uh, favor is going to find me. Okay, we're, we're good with that. And those statements are entirely true. What's fallacious and what's false, the things that we are struggling with, is how we understand good. Like, what does good look like? Romans 8, 28, like, I've just been rattling through my brain, uh, for he's working together all things for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. Like, if that is true, how can this be true, too? And the answer is, I don't think that we often understand what good really looks like. Because we think of good in my terms of what my bank account looks like, what my house looks like, the cleanliness of my white picket fence, uh, the health of my 401, all of those things. Like we think in terms, that's a Phoebeism from friends, like we, we think of that in terms of good, right? But there's, there's more to good than that. There's way more to good than just the health of my IRA. There, there's so much more to good. I think Stephen understood it well before he uttered a single word. Because if, if he was thinking, if he was remembering just, just a little while ago, he remembered that there was one before him that this exact same thing had happened to. He remembered that there was another one, Jesus. The, the Jesus that he worships, there were false charges brought against him. He was taken to the Sanhedrin, and, and he was given an opportunity to testify and to clear his name. And yet he, he said, no, what you've said is true. If he was a student of history, and I know that he was, he knew exactly what was coming, and he didn't stop because he understood that good is a lot different than what we think. He understood that the weight of glory and the responsibility of grace supersedes our comfort and our pleasure. And man, that's hard because I like my comfort and I like my pleasure. I don't, I don't know that I have a 401, but if I did, I think I would like it. Abram, do I have a 401? I don't think I do. Um, but I think he understood that man, good was different. Good was more. Good was a lot like we talked about last week. Like one of the reasons that we don't listen to our influences, we've forgotten that we're supposed to be other than, separated from, distinct and different. And we have to think differently even about good than the rest of the world does. Very often, like, gosh, man. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's good. 
to be able to see that a Savior is awaiting me, that's good. To be able to know that what I've done mattered is good. To be able to know that my obedience trumps my comfort and my health and well-being is good. But that's hard. Because everything we hear is you got to get yours, you got to protect your own, you got to take care of what's yours, you got to do all that. And while those things do have a shred of truth, the other thing is when we have been called out of obscurity into the kingdom of God, now strangers and aliens to this world, man, our definition of good has to change. Because if it doesn't change, it will never change for the people that are still outside the kingdom. It won't. If we don't start to look a bit peculiar, a little bit odd, a little bit different, they won't either. Because by the way, God's plan A for the salvation of mankind is his people, enlightening other people that don't yet know him about the goodness of God. Of course, faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God according to Romans 10, how beautiful the feet of those who take the good news, like our definition of good has to change so that theirs can. So what else do we do with this if we're thinking about this idea of influence? I think the first is this, that we have to understand that, um, again, like if we're, if we're thinking about it, do I want to be the mob who murdered a guy, or do I want to be like Stephen? Which one do I want to be? You know, the mob right now, uh, I, I don't want that. Like, I don't want to be the, the mob that murders a guy, even though they thought they could probably get under the radar, because what they did was illegal. They, should have, they would have had to go to their governor, I think it was Felix at the time, they would have, but they thought that Stephen was such a small fish that nobody would really care, and they were also so mad that they plugged their ears so that they couldn't hear, and they rushed at him in one accord. I don't know how they all fit in a small Honda, but they did, and, and they killed him. Sorry, that's a bad time for a joke, but I just need to lighten the moment just a little bit. But I don't want to be like those guys. But then you look at Stephen. Do I want to be an influencer like Stephen? Here's the first thing that I think we have to realize that he realized then. Our influence is not about us. I know that sounds simple, but if we're being an influencer, not an influencee, like my influence, it's not about me. It has to be about God and God alone. It has to be about God and God alone, and that is manifest through our interactions with people in obedience to Jesus and his commands. I'll say that again. It has to be about God and God alone, and that is manifest through our interactions with people through obedience to Jesus and his commands. Jesus and his commands, hey, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have, I have commanded you to do, and lo, I'll be with you always. Uh, start right here in Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria, go to the ends of the earth. And by the way, you're going to have the power to do that. Great commission, Matthew 28 and Acts 1. A little bit of paraphrase. Jesus' commands, love the Lord your God with everything you got from the top of your head to the bottom of your foot and everything in between. Love your neighbors yourself just like it. Jesus and his commands. My influence is entirely about God, but the way that it's going to be fleshed out, the way that it's going to be seen is my interactions through people and how I, and how I deal with that. How I love them, how I, man, how I push them towards Jesus. Not how I correct their morality, to be honest but how I share the gospel and allow God to do that work and allow the Holy Spirit to come in them, wreck them, change them the same way that he did to me and the same way I hope he did for you and that he's continuing to do. My influence has to be about God and God alone and it's going to work itself out uh, through our interactions with people in obedience to Jesus and his commands. 
That's one. Here's the second thing that I think we have to understand. And, and I can't say that this is universal, but I, I can look at a pattern in Scripture and say that it, it's probably pretty true. Our message, the gospel, is often going to irritate those the most that should already know it. And maybe that's a little wordy. But the same way here that Stephen said uh, right at the end, he's like, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it, you who should have known better, you who should have recognized the Messiah, you who should have known Jesus before he uttered a word because you've had the blessing and the grace of the law given to you since you were in cloth diapers, you're the people who didn't recognize him. And as a matter of fact, you're the people who killed him. And now you're so upset that you want to kill me. And by the way, it's not an isolated incident. You go back and you look at Jesus, he didn't flip tables in the houses of prostitutes. He didn't flip tables in the houses of tax collectors. No, he went in the temple where the religious were and he flipped their mess. The people that should know better are usually the ones that are going to have as much problem, if not more, with the gospel than anybody else. And I think we need to be ready for that. You know, we, we might not have people who are, who are bent on a temple these days, but we're going to have people that are bent on a house. And think that worship has to occur in a specific place at a specific time with a specific outfit. And I'm not bashing traditional church. Do not hear me say that. I'm a product of growing up in the BOBC. And I'm grateful for the grace that was displayed for me, even though I make fun of it sometimes. But there are people that cling to tradition, man-made tradition, and think it's the gospel. Those people are going to have a problem with the fact that Jesus came to get rid of that. And he said, you don't need these checks of yes and no anymore. You just need me. They're going to be the ones that get upset. But the contrary is too true as well, and we need to hear that. You know the people that didn't have a problem with Jesus' message? Well, they were the people whose tables he didn't flip. They were the people that sat at his table. Most often, they, they were eat up with sin. Those were people that were trying to figure out what life was looked like and how to escape it alive. Man, they hung on every word. They hung on every meal he gave him. They hung on every word of grace that he displayed. They hung on every act of love that he showed them. Yeah, those people, they, they didn't really have a problem with it. That's good news for us. Because there's a whole world of those people out there that need to hear the gospel, that aren't hung up on the law, that aren't hung up on man's tradition, and they need to hear about Jesus. And guess what? According to plan A, we get to share it with them. Not the ministers, not just the deacons, all of us, every single one, ministers, servers of the gospel, the new covenant, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Our message will often irritate those the most who should already know it. Mm. And that drives me crazy. Mm. I had a client a couple years ago, I still train a few people, and she was a devout atheist, like, I mean, hardcore atheist, and learned a lot from her, though. Zachten hail mesh machen des stinkende Wunden was one thing that I learned from her, because she was European, and that means that soft hands make stinking wounds, and she said that to me as like a nursing teaching thing, I was like, oh man, I'm going to totally steal that. Zachten hail mesh machen stinkende Wunden, yeah, so anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that later, but either way, one day she was telling me, you know what, she's like, I hate church people. And I said, I don't hate them, but they drive me crazy. She said, what? She said, you're a pastor. I was like, yeah, I am. She's like, how do church people drive you crazy? I'm like, well, let me explain. And I explained to her a little bit. And she was like, oh, well, I like you. And I'm like, well, okay. Well, let's go Zockton Hell Mesh mocking stinking the wounded, whatever. And, but yeah, man, I mean, the people that should know better, very often they're going to be the ones that are so irritated by grace because they want to earn it. They can't. I can't. You can't. Hmm. Here's the elephant in the room, third thing we gotta, we got to pick up. Pain can be confusing. 
Like, this is the reality. Like, we can use niceties as much as we want about this passage and say, yeah, this is good. But in me somewhere, we're like, man, this guy died. This guy laid down his life. And if God didn't take him, like, out graciously, either way, his body got pummeled with rocks. I mean, this guy died. So, yeah, pain is confusing. I mean, it, it's the reality of it that it's just... I can't understand, and I don't think that I'm supposed to, why God does what he does. It's not my job. It's well above my pay grade. But here's what we do know, and this is not to, to man, it's not to gloss over what just happened, but I do want to finish the story, right? Because at the end of chapter 7, um, man, it's beautiful in chapter 60, verse 60, chapter 7, it says, And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Sounds a lot like Jesus, by the way. Uh, and it's, after he said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1, and it says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. You're like, man, it still doesn't sound good. Give me a second. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Remember that Great Commission thing that we talked about just a minute ago? It says, I want you to go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Lo, I will be with you always. Acts 1, talking about, hey, power is going to come upon you, and when it does, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Do you know what happened as a result of Philip, I mean, Stephen getting stoned? scattered the believers because they were all held up in Jerusalem at this point in one big community, which is great because they needed to grow, they needed to thrive, they needed to understand what the gospel was in its truest form, they needed to feel grace, they needed to perceive grace, but then Stephen gets killed and they go, Woof. do you know what goes with them? The gospel. Do you know what they did with it? They preached it. Do you know what happened as a result of that? God built his church starting in Jerusalem, where they were, going to Judea, the region, going to Samaria, where they hated them and they were hated back. If that hadn't happened, we probably wouldn't have the rest of Acts, as a matter of fact. Because Saul, that guy, yeah, his name is also Paul. He wrote, man, three-quarters of the New Testament. He planted multiple churches, has grandchildren churches, great-great-great-great-grandchildren churches that are still going, all because one guy knew exactly where he was going when he opened his mouth, and he said, this is good. Yeah, I get it. Pain can be confusing, but God's good sometimes looks so different. It looks so different. J.D. Greer, he says, honestly, we don't always know why God allows his people to suffer. But we do know this, that the sermons we preach in pain are louder than the ones that we preach in our prosperity. Oh, that'll kick you. He says, we don't know why God allows us to suffer. But what we do know this is that the sermons or the messages that we speak in our pain are way louder than the ones that we speak in our prosperity. God's not going to waste pain. He's not going to waste loss. As long as we're on the side and understand what good looks like, he's going to continue to do something with it. He's going to continue to make it work. He might scatter the believers so that they can take the gospel wherever they go. And it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And then you read the rest of Acts. It's all a result of the scattering, the diaspora, Second, amazing. 
So yeah, pain can be fusing, confusing, but. Here's the fourth thing, and then I'm done. And you're going to be like, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Here's the fourth. Serving tables is important. You're like, where'd you get there? Where'd you go there? We're like, where's that? That's from the very beginning. Serving tables is important. As a matter of fact, I would say that serving tables is influential. This guy was called out just, just to feed some widows. Just to feed some widows. Serving tables is important. As a matter of fact, I think the way that we sweep and the way that we clean and the way that we meet those small needs probably speaks louder than anything that we say. Now, we need to say stuff, too. I'm not letting us off the hook, but it means a lot. Generally, the way that we get to speak, the way that we get to proclaim the good news is by cleaning first, sweeping first, taking care of a need first, whatever that looks like, be it whatever it may be. That's generally the way that we earn a right to speak. Serving tables is important. It's influential. Last night, I had two guys via text, fighting over who would come and set up for tech this morning. <laughs> That's great. They understand serving tables is important. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I think a lot of us are, it, I'm not, I don't know, maybe sometimes I, let me use an I statement, maybe sometimes I think it's the grand gestures. Maybe you do too, I don't know, but let's just talk about me. Maybe I think it's the grand gestures. I think a lot of times it's just those little ones a meal here or there, a bill paid here or there, maybe even just a text. Hey, I know you're having a rough day. I love you. Can I pray for you? What can I do? Maybe sometimes it's those little ones, the tables that we get to serve, that can be the most influence that lead to more. That's a tough passage. I think it challenges the way that we think about good. I think it challenges the way that we think about the gospel. I think it challenges... A lot of things, and I think we, we need to hear it and embrace it. Um, thank you guys for sticking. We're gonna, we've got a time of communion. It's the first Sunday of the month, and we, we celebrate through communion. The table is, is going to be set up back there. I think we've got somebody that's going to grab the, the stuff and bring it out. But uh, let me um, tell you about how we do communion, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have one more song and, and take communion as you feel led. Uh, you're not obligated to go back there and grab a cup of bread. Yep, we have a cup of bread and a cup of juice. You're not obligated. Uh, you can stay exactly where you are, and that is fine. Here, here's what uh, Scripture attests to, and here's what we agree with. Uh, communion is one of those things that we do as a family, together as a family, in the name of Jesus, to remember the fact that his body was broken for me, his blood was poured out for me. Without those two things, I can't know God. I just can't. I have to trust in his life, his death, his birth, his resurrection, his words, all of that so that I can be made right with God. If I believe that and if I trust in that and I've committed for Jesus to be my Lord, uh, then I'm, I'm available to take communion. Um, and it's just our way of celebrating that. But it's also our way of looking forward to the fact that he's going to come back and he's going to clean up all the mess. He's going to make it all right. I mean, in the blink of an eye, it's going to be the way it should have been. And we celebrate that. Uh, but also it goes a little further to say that if there's any sin that's just sitting in our life, if there is a hindrance between us and God, that we need to take care of that before we take communion. Um, if we have some things that we've been dealing with, battling, and we have yet to confess those to God as a means of healing, we need to do that. And so uh, before you take communion, if you decide to do that, if you have some sin, maybe it's just a good time for you just to sit there. And confession sounds like this. Hey, God, this is what I've done. Fill in the blank. Um, I know that it's against you. I don't want to do it anymore. 
thank you for forgiving me and give me the strength to move forward. That's confession, that's repentance. And if you need to do that, do it honestly. Do it from your heart. Don't just do it for lip service so that you can get some wicked juice and great bread. Uh, do it because it's important, and we need to deal with sin. Um, thank you guys for being here. I'm going to pray. Uh, we're going to worship through communion, and then we'll be free to leave. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Uh, thank you for Jesus. And God, thank you that through Jesus we can know what real good looks like, a good that does conflict with, with our hearts. Uh, but God, it's a good nonetheless. Um, I pray that you would remind us of what Galatians 1.10 tells us, that if uh, for we, are we trying to persuade men or are we trying to persuade God or seeking to please men or seeking to please God? Because if we're seeking to please men, uh, then God, we're no longer a servant of you. So God, remind us that what it looks like day to day to be a servant of the Most High King. Uh, God, today as we take communion as a family, I pray that we would celebrate your life, uh, your death, your resurrection. We would remember it as a family. But God, also we would look forward together to your uh, triumphant return. Um, and God, if we have sin that we need to confess and repent of, I pray that we would do it now. Uh, thank you for being faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness according to your word and your promise. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So as you feel led, you can go back there and grab a cup and juice um, and take it wherever you want to.